You are listening to the Sermons Podcast from the North Church in Moundsview, Minnesota. For more gospel-focused resources or information about our church, please visit us at thenorthchurch.com. Our sermon text this morning is Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 through 12. That's Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 through 12, and that's on page 528 of the blue Bibles underneath your chairs. Proverbs chapter 3, beginning in verse 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves, as a father the son in whom he delights. I invite you to keep your Bibles open. We're going to be looking specifically at this passage. And we're going to move around the scriptures a little bit to try to gain further understanding. Looking at passages that were in the mind, I think, of the author and in a place where it's quoted in the New Testament. But before we begin, let me, let me start by asking you a question. Are you a big picture person or do you trend towards the details? Are you the type of person who says, what if we did whatever? Or are you the person who says, that sounds great, but don't forget X, Y, and Z. Do you lean more towards, oh, what if, what, what could we do or, or consider this wonderful plan with me? Or are you the type of person that likes to help somebody with a big plan get it onto the ground? Some of us trend in either of those directions and many of us are just happy that those people exist and we can follow them. This passage, and I'm going to invite you to look up the page just a little bit, this passage that we're going to look at today is a little bit more on the ground. It's carrying out or getting practical about a big vision earlier in chapter 3. You can look at it with me. Look at Proverbs 3 verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. How about an all-encompassing, compelling vision? Trusting God with the entirety of your being. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. That's not small, that's huge. In every area of your life acknowledge him, look to him, seek his help, honor him. And he will make your path straight. Be not wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. The week before Easter, Andy Nacelli walked us through different sections of the text, the call and the blessing, the call and the blessing, the call and the blessing. And the people of God who are born again, who've been given a new heart, say, yes, Lord, I want to trust you with all of my heart. That's the big thing that I wanna do with your help, Lord. But what exactly does that look like in my life? What areas fit into that all other than all? Help me. 
Help me get a little bit more practical. And I think that's where this section, this is a big unit, and we're looking at the, the last four verses. That's where I think this passage goes today. And it gets very practical. With our possessions and our wealth and our income. Yikes, we don't like to talk about that very much. And with the hard things that we're facing in our lives. The trials, the hardships, the little suffering or the deepest valley that we're walking through. Lord, you want me to trust you there? You need me to rely on your understanding there and with my money? Early in my preparation as I'm writing this down, I'm like, we need to pray right away. This is going to get very personal. This is going to get really to the heart of the matter. This is going to expose our hearts in our abundance and in our lack, in our suffering. So let's pray, and then I'll explain where we're going with this message. Lord, we want to bring these two areas to you. We want to trust you as the good shepherd. We want to invite you to help us consider how we use what you've given to us. And God, we want to ask you to tenderly care for us as we consider the hardships that some of us are walking through, some of us are in the deepest, darkest valleys of our lives right now. And it is a hard thing to trust you with all of our hearts. So would you gently shepherd us? Would you powerfully awaken us? Would you build our faith in these areas and help me to communicate clearly? May your word be laid out before us and would you give us a heart to obey it? Pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Our sermon outline is very simple today. As you notice, as the text is laid out on your page, it comes in two units, and I've already explained the topics. The first word of the first phrase is honor, specifically about the Lord with our wealth, and the second phrase in verse 11 through 12, it's about discipline. The title of this text is Wisdom and Wealth and Trials, and I'll explain that in just a little bit, but we're going to try to do a couple things with each of these units, two verse units of text. We're going to try to dig deep to understand what exactly did the author of Proverbs intend in this proverb. Then we're going to look at the wider scriptures. I think there's some passages that this author is relying upon, or there's a passage in Hebrews where it's the entirety of verse 11 and 12 is quoted. And it gives us commentary to believing people on this side of the cross. How do we apply that to our lives? So we're going to look at the wider scripture to further gain practicality and on the ground understanding. And finally, we're going to say, how does this apply to me? How can I honor the Lord with my wealth? How can I not despise his discipline when he leads me through trials? Very simple. Let's begin with the first section, verses 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. The first word here is honor. And we need to know it's a command. It means to make weighty or heavy, glorify, make the greatness known. Wow. So somehow with our possessions and our wealth, we are supposed to make the greatness of God known. And yet 
that kind of goes against our grain. Normally we want to make our greatness known with our possession, like check out my new watch or look at this or I've got this many figures. God has a call to us to honor him with our wealth just as subjects honor their kings by kneeling and children honor their parents by yielding and following their instructions. We are to honor God with our wealth. Well, what exactly does the author of Proverbs have in mind with wealth? I think it's kind of looking at two different ideas, both money and possessions. And we can see that in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 6.31 says, it's, it's speaking a warning about somebody who's gonna face judgment and they're going to lose all the goods, same word as wealth, all the goods of their house. So what wealth or what possessions do you have? What's in your shed out back? Or what's in the closet of your apartment? Or children, what's in the toy cabinet? Or what's in your room? What are your possessions? It also has to do with what we would consider money or income. Proverbs 28 verse 8 says, to a warning to a person who multiplies their wealth from interest and profit. And it's it's specifically speaking about wrong ways, anti-biblical ways of multiplying their wealth through interest and profit. So it does include our cash, money, so to speak, or income. But you probably kind of already had a guess about wealth. Why am I spending so much time talking about that? Well, I think we tend to compartmentalize what God has entrusted to us. We often think when we think about being generous, this little money that I've set aside, or if I look at percentages or things like that, I've got this little bit over here, or I have this savings or this disposable income, but God sees it in totality. He wants us to honor him with the things that we possess, the things that we're going to purchase, the income that comes in, the things that we've saved up, the money stored under the mattress. All of it he wants us to honor him with. As well, we need to remember that Proverbs in these opening nine chapters is setting trajectory for the rest of the book. It's instructing us, it's helping us, it's giving a vision to fit all the other little Proverbs into. This specific word wealth is used 17 times in the book of Proverbs. Did you know that the Bible talks a lot about money? Do you know what it says? Today, we're going to orient you to sort of an overarching vision for wealth, possessions, money, so that you can benefit from that, both in this book and in the wider scriptures. So we're supposed to honor the Lord with our wealth. How do we do that? Proverbs 14.31 says, He who is generous to the needy honors his maker. And that word honors is the same thing in our text. So one of the ways we can honor the Lord with our wealth is by seeing needs around us and responding to them. When we don't love our stuff and and hoard it, but we see and we give, we display the great heart of our God through generosity. Another specific way is how we think about our money. I believe that Deuteronomy 8 
is very much in the mind of this author in this whole section of chapter three. I could talk to you more about that another time. You could turn there if you want to, but let me share with you a couple verses from Deuteronomy 8. I believe that I'm gonna go here a couple times because Deuteronomy 8 verse 1 and Proverbs 3 verse 1 have verbal links. The father in Deuteronomy is speaking to the nation of Israel and saying, stay steadfast to the Lord. Don't let your hearts be led astray. And the father to the son in Proverbs is doing the same thing. Be steadfast. Don't let your heart be led astray. So here is what Moses, through God, in Deuteronomy 8, 17 and 18, is talking about wealth and gives us some very clear understanding on how we are to honor God with it. Deuteronomy 8, 17 says, beware lest you say in your heart, Proverbs 3 is all about our hearts, my power and the might of my hand has gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. Do we think that way? Do we come home after a very difficult day at work or week or considering the burdens that we bear to earn wealth? Do we say, God, it was you who gave me the power to get that? It's completely because of you. You have given me this. You have made me a steward. You are the source. Do we think that way? We must because our hearts will drift towards pride and self-sufficiency and towards forgetting the Lord if we do not. We honor the Lord in the way that we think about our wealth and use our wealth when we realize it's all from him. It's all his. He has entrusted it to us. Do you honor the Lord with the, your wealth in the ways that you think about your money and your possessions? Well, it doesn't stop there. It says we're also supposed to honor him with the first fruits of all of our produce. What are first fruits? Do you have any first fruits? This is an agricultural term. And it was the very beginning, sort of the evidence that the crop was going to be great. It was the first portion, the best portion that the Israelite people were to take from and give to God. I don't know how many of you have a garden that extensive that you're gonna take some first fruits from that or how many of us are farmers, probably most of us are not. But I think this can very much apply to our income. We're supposed to honor the Lord with our income, with what comes in, with what he provides. How do we honor the Lord with our first fruits? Well, I think, again, we can learn from the book of Deuteronomy, perhaps the best chapter on first fruits is Deuteronomy 26. In that section, I'm gonna read a couple verses from that chapter. In that section of God's instruction, the people of Israel have just, remember, been slaves in Egypt, and then they have wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. They did not gather any crops until they came to the edge of the promised land. In fact, what they did is they went out and gathered manna, this what is it stuff, these flaky kind of things that they were able to consume and, and God provided for them in the middle of the wilderness. So they saw very clearly he was their provider. 
Well, God was leading them into a land to benefit from houses that they did not build and from crops that they did not raise, that they did not plant. And they're gonna take the first fruits and God is very concerned for their well-being to guard their hearts. And he says this in Deuteronomy 26, verse one. When you come into the land that the Lord your God has given you for an inheritance and have taken possession of it and live in it, you shall take some of the first of all the fruit of the ground, first, the best part, the opening part, which you harvest from your land that the Lord your God has given to you. And you shall put it in a basket and you shall go to the place that the Lord your God will choose to make a name for to dwell there. That's specifically speaking of Jerusalem or the the place that the tabernacle would be, the place eventually where the, the temple would be. Take your first fruits and bring it there. And you shall go to the priest who is in office at that time and say to him, I declare today to the Lord your God that I have come into the land that the Lord swore to your fathers to give us. Then the priest shall take the basket from your hand and set it down before the altar of the Lord your God. Notice there is significant effort and focus on the part of the giver here. It is so good for us to give, to set aside things, to bring things, to give in a worship service like this, but it's also important for us to declare things, to say things to the Lord in prayer, to say, God, look at what you've provided for me. You are so faithful. I didn't know what I was gonna do when I didn't have a job, but you've provided it and now I'm giving back to you. Or, God, you've been so faithful to provide for us. I'm not sure how we're gonna make all these ends meet, but you are keeping it faithful as we keep giving to you. Thank you. Honor the Lord with the first fruits of your wealth. Give, set aside a portion of your income to the Lord. Interact with him. Thank him. Praise him. And I'll let you do a little of this on your own, but keep reading 26. The giver is meant to go before the Lord and say, examine me. I have not held back from you what you call me to give. That might be a very good thing for each of us to do, to bring our hearts and our finances and our books and lay them before the Lord and say, is there anything else, is there anything I'm withholding from you? Am I consuming what I should be giving to you? Honor the Lord with the wealth, with the first fruits of all your produce. Worship by giving. Worship by generosity. Worship by thinking about money rightly. Are you doing that? Are you honoring the Lord with your wealth? As people look at your life, do they say, they love God, and I can see it by how they're generous how they think about their things, how they talk about the Lord, how they give to others. Are you honoring the Lord with your wealth? Just like we saw earlier in the section, uh, earlier in this passage two weeks ago, it's a call and a blessing, a call and a blessing, a call and a blessing. And verse 10 has a blessing. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. We can't get away from the absolute abundance that's promised in this second, called out, in this second verse of the section. Barns filled, 
plenty, bursting. Those are words of abundance. In fact, Genesis 41, 29, Joseph uses this word plenty when he says there will be seven plentiful years. They stopped counting after a while in the way that the Lord provided plenty in that day. So what is God saying here? We don't have barns, most of us. We don't have vats. What is he saying here? Well, we need to understand a few things. He's saying that God is sovereign over all things, including our finances. Do you know how meticulous God's sovereignty is? Do you know that the Bible says that God causes the grass to grow? That's a really good verse for spring, especially as our dead lawns around us come to life. God causes the blades of grass to grow. If God causes the blades of grass to grow, do you not think that he can provide for you? Can he not help you find things on sale? Or can he not, if he causes the Israelites' clothing and sandals to not wear out for 40 years in the wilderness, can he not cause your old car to make it a little bit longer? Can he not provide and help and take care of you? This text is saying, as you give, the Lord will provide for you. Not always like, whoa, I don't know what I'm going to do with all this stuff, but he's going to take care of you. He will meet your needs. Are you trusting him with your giving or are you withholding because you don't trust that he's sovereign in your finances? I just, I won't be able to make it enough if I honor the Lord with my wealth. He's saying, trust me. Trust me. I am sovereign over all things and I am good. Trust me. As you step out in faith, God will bless you with what you need and he will help you be even more generous. I think this is something we need to talk about. Those that God has enabled to be generous, talk about how the Lord provides for you. Those who have been in graduate school and still been faithfully giving to the Lord, talk about how he made it, helped you make it through. Those who started a new job and their giving increased a lot because God has now given them so much more. Talk about how he is taking care of you. And those of you who are in some of those trickier places where things are changing or where things are tight or things are hard, ask others around you, how has God provided for you? Just a, a month or so ago, I was talking quite a bit about a car battery to my family. Why was I talking about a car battery to my family? It was because it was a very real need for a family member. Their car was not going to make it from point A to point B without it. And through very kind circumstances, God gave me about $80 off in helping purchase that battery. So I was like, look at what God did. Look at how he provided for us. Look at how he cares for you. If he cares for you in this little sale type item, how is he going to care for you in so many other ways? The Lord is sovereign over our finances. He helps, he supplies, he blesses. Do you believe it? But here's what this text is not saying. This text is not saying a promise. Proverbs are not a promise. We're gonna talk in just a moment about trials and some of us are facing financial trials right now. We're giving and it's not meeting up. We're facing big medical bills that we didn't expect to to have to pay. We don't know how God is going to provide. 
This is not a one-for-one promise. Second, it is not a biblical path to getting rich. This is not some biblical Ponzi scheme where if we give to God, he's going to multiply and blow us away. The prosperity gospel lies to us in that and says, if, if you give to God, he will give back to you so much more. Just keep giving. That's a pathway to say, if you love money, I'll tell you how to get more of it. That's not honoring God with your wealth. That's loving money. On the other hand, if we love God and use money to honor him, that's his good plan. And he'll provide for us and help us and take care of us and meet our needs. Do not fall into the trap of loving money. Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and to destruction. Just take a moment and look at your heart. Who do you want to be honored with your wealth, with your possessions, with your money? From young and old, I'm not just talking about people that have jobs here. Young and old, who do you want to be honored with your possessions? You or God? We are to honor the Lord with our wealth. We are also to trust him in trials. Let's look at the second section of two verses. Proverbs 3, 11 through 12 says, My son, do not despise the discipline of the Lord or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves and the father as a father, the son in whom he delights. This gives us a little bit of a shift. It's a little bit different. The blessing is hidden. This is a major test of our faith. And so what the author does is his blessing is an encouragement towards faith The blessing is hidden within this phrase. So let's try to understand it. I've used the word trials. Why do I use the word trials when the text uses the word discipline and it uses the word reprove twice? Well, first, we've already seen this word that is translated here in our English Standard Version as discipline. We've already seen it four times in this book and all of them happen in the first eight verses of this letter or of this book. Listen to what it says in Proverbs 1, verse 2. That it, it describes there that the book of Proverbs will help us know wisdom and instruction. That's the same word for discipline. Or in Proverbs 1, 7, it says, fools despise wisdom and instruction. So it uses instruction for discipline. And we learned in our first week in the book of Proverbs that this term instruction is teaching which includes correction. It's both advancing truth and correcting misunderstanding. And I think what we can learn here in this verse is that it's not only through words through Proverbs, it's through God's divinely orchestrated circumstances. God is teaching us things as he sovereignly orchestrates our lives. As he gives us ups and downs, as he gives us little annoying things or deep, difficult trials to walk through. What this is calling us to do is the opposite of a fool who despises wisdom and instruction. This is refining through challenging circumstances. And we see this through, again, a passage that I believe is in the mind of the author, Deuteronomy 8, 2 and 3, and verse 5. 
And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness. So God is looking back on the wilderness wanderings and saying, I want you to think about those years and those big events in a certain way that he might humble you, test you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Verse five, know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines or instructs you. God was using circumstances in their life that they often grumbled about, and we do too, that they often grumbled about to shape them, to test them, to teach them, to help them rely on his word even more. When God does that in your life, how do you respond? We are not to despise it. That means do not hate the one who gives the hardship. Or be weary of his reproof. The word weary is a Hebrew word that can also be translated loathe, like I loathed something. The, the NET Bible, the Net Bible, suggests that that probably is what it should be, especially because it's in parallel. Don't despise and don't loathe his discipline. And we see the children of Israel who were walking through those circumstances loathing God's discipline in Numbers 21. The people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food, no water, and we loathe this worthless food. What was going, if we find ourselves in that place, if we're looking at the circumstances of our lives and we're saying, God, I don't like the way that you're orchestrating my life. I hate this. What do we do? In that same context of Numbers 21, we're given a gospel picture. In Numbers 21, that loathing led to God disciplining them with fiery serpents that bit the people and some died. But at the same time, God provided a cross-like symbol. He placed a serpent on a pole and said, look at this, whoever is bitten and looks at this, if you look to me and have faith that I will heal you, they'll be healed. And when we fast forward, they were perhaps perplexed for hundreds of years. Jesus and the gospel author John helped connect the dots. John 3, 14 to 15 says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Jesus was lifted up on a cross that whoever looks to him, trusts him, believes in him may have eternal life. And that is the first step to climbing out of loathing God's circumstances. There's much more, and, and we'll get there in just a second. But if you're not trusting in Christ, you will despise the Lord's discipline. Trust Christ. Trust Christ. And then seek his help to trust him more. We begin trusting Christ and the whole Christian life is trusting Christ. Trust Christ, trust Christ, trust Christ until we see him face to face and spend eternity with him. 
And that's what God is calling us to do in this text. As God disciplines us, as God uses circumstances to refine us and correct us, we are to count them as joy-producing things. That's what James says. We're not to run away from them. We're supposed to lean into them. And as we do that, we are supposed to seek him for all the needs that we come up trying to do that. If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God or to seek him for more grace to trust him in the hard circumstances of our lives. Let's look at verse 11, I'm sorry, verse 12, to see the unique blessing, the encouragement. How do we do that? How can we think about these things in helpful ways to actually not despise the hard circumstances that we're facing? For the Lord reproves him whom he loves and the father, the son, in whom he delights. This is a window through which to look at our hard circumstances. A window of love and a window of sonship or children language, family thinking. Look at this with me. Hebrews 12 is a section of text written to a weary group of people They're facing persecution and they're tempted to move away from the persecution that they're receiving as Christians back to a safe, slink back to a safe Jewish God-honoring religion but not really honoring Christ. When they honor Christ, they face persecution. They lose their possessions. Other hard things happen to them. But when they slink back and they sort of do the culturally acceptable thing, they're okay. And so they're facing this dynamic and the writer of Hebrews says, don't be weary in this. And then he quotes Proverbs 11 and 12, Proverbs 3, 11 and 12 in its entirety. And he starts to explain it to them. In verse seven, he says, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. So how is the Lord encouraging the Christians through Hebrews and the reader in Proverbs, how is he helping us to not despise the Lord's discipline, his correction, his training circumstances? First, he's saying, If that's a part of your life, if God is using those things to refine your faith, rejoice, you are a son. It is better to be a son of God and disciplined than have no discipline and not be a son. So zoom out and think about this. It is a good thing. It's never pleasant when we're corrected, right? I mean, all the children among us could say, ooh, when I'm disciplined, I hate it. But when we move past the discipline and look back and say, I have been trained, I have been helped, it was a good thing. We can rejoice and be thankful. So zoom out to a spiritual life of a person who the Lord just turns over to the desires of their heart, continually just turns them over and they come to the judgment seat without having been corrected by the Lord, maybe by circumstances, maybe by the law, but they just have not had the Lord's kind intervention, shepherding, correcting, giving them a new heart. They just mow through life uncorrected by the Lord. We will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. That will not be a happy day for that person. But consider the child of God who's been given a heart by God 
and whom God corrects and trains and instructs and gives steadfastness so that they move towards holiness and stand firm until the very end. That will be a life, that will be a discipline worth receiving. Take heart. If God is using circumstances and every circumstance he is using, if God is using those in your life, take heart. He is treating you as a child. A good father disciplining his children. And there's much for us as earthly parents of discipline in this book, which would be well worth our consideration. But time does not allow for that right now. The final part is his heart. Look at his heart. He reproves those whom he loves. A a son in whom he delights. Hebrews 12 also gives us some help there. For they, that is human fathers, in Hebrews 12 verse 10, for they discipline us for a short time as it seems best to them. Any of us human fathers know that sometimes our discipline plans are good, sometimes our discipline plans are not so good. But he, that is God, disciplines us for our good, absolutely what is for our good because he knows what's for our good. That we may share what? In his holiness. He's preparing us. He's giving us a portion of it now and preparing for us to share in his holiness for eternity. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. We should just compare as it seems best to humans as God who knows it's good for us. So we can take heart in the hard circumstances that he's preparing his children to share in his holiness. The beauty of Proverbs is that as he calls us to these things, he also points us to Christ. So just consider these two areas, wealth and trials. Is Jesus Christ not the greatest example? He who was rich beyond all measure, yet for love's sake becamest poor. We were just considering the cross on Good Friday and the resurrection at Easter. Consider the wealth of our great God and how he laid it down in generosity and how he honored the great and glorious name of our Lord. As we honor the Lord with our wealth, we display our great God. And consider our great God who suffered. His passion week is breathtaking. He moved through trusting his good father, not despising the cross. Enduring the cross. He went to the extent that none of us will ever go. Being God of all gods, taking on flesh and suffering to the point of death. He is our great example. That's why we must turn to him and trust him as our righteousness. His perfect record of using his wealth to honor the Lord and enduring through trials without despising them can be credited to those who look to Jesus in faith. And he is our good shepherd. He is our good shepherd. 
So in each of these areas, we can invite him to say, God, look at what you've entrusted to me. Help me honor you more. You see, you know, you direct, you are sovereign, help me. Or we can say in the midst of the worst trial ever, God, your word says that you are my keeper. Be my keeper. I'm losing my grip on you. Help me. This is so hard. Help me not despise your sovereign orchestration of my life. Help me endure this hard trial, for I know that I will share in your holiness. Help me trust you. So I invite you to consider those two areas. Where is your heart leaning? I'm going to share some extreme sides of the scale, but where is your heart leaning? Let the Lord examine you and bring these to the Lord with your possessions. Are you leaning towards generosity and rejoicing as you give? Or is your heart more prone towards keeping, withholding, calculating, and begrudging giving? With your trials, are you seeking to believe that this is this unpleasant time of hardship that God is doing this somehow for your good? You may not see it now, but you're trying to believe that. Do you know that he loves you? And as a good father, he's helping you. Are you trying to believe that? Or are you despising the hand that orchestrates all things? You don't want it. You're, become, you're becoming bitter towards God. I want to invite you to bring your heart to the Lord first as I pray for us. I'm in this with you as we bring our hearts before the Lord. And then when the worship team follows up after my prayer to sing a song, this song as well is a prayer of inviting God by his Holy Spirit to fill us, to control us. Maybe your heart is wrestling with a different area than what we're talking about from Proverbs today. But it's an opportunity for us to come before the Lord and say, you are God. Take me, lead me, mold me, have your way in me. Let's begin by praying together. Father, we need your help, just as we said at the beginning. We need your help now with more understanding to have the courage to bring our hearts to you, to entrust our possessions to you, to entrust our finances to you. Would you help us? Would you lead us? Would you shepherd us? And God, we also want to bring the hard circumstances, the trials, the difficulties that we're facing in our lives to you. We want to ask that you would Help us to trust you with all our hearts and lean not on our own understanding. Show us where we are and show us where we need to lean on your understanding. We pray these things and we continue to pray them as we sing. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Sermons Podcast from the North Church. For more information about our church or resources to help you deepen your walk with Christ, please visit us at thenorthchurch.com.